from Wakefield. It's the Nolan Cart Night Show, starring Nolan. When you join Nolan's guest this week, Chris Farmer, to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the program. And joining me this week is a very special person. He's not only talented musically, singing, he's been with the Beach Boys, Jan and Dean. He currently plays with Timothy B. Schmidt. He plays with CSI. Uh, Surf City All-Stars. He, so much he does. He's such a busy man, so to spend time with me means a great deal. He's the only, uh, one and only Mr. Chris Former. Chris, how are you doing today? Hello, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Nolan. I appreciate the invite. Of, of course. Oh, no, no, you keep talking about my credits. No, that's a, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no go, go ahead. <laughs> um, as, as I mentioned earlier, I like to sort of talk about um, right now, and obviously these are interesting times, uh, crazy times, and you're back out touring, whether it be with Bobby's band or your own stuff or with Timothy's. How has it been for you to get back out touring again? Well, uh, almost two years ago, uh, the, the lockdown started happening. You know, the, the virus was spreading. And uh, I remember I had dates on the calendar like any other professional live musician, which is how we all make our living. And, and all of a sudden, I remember one morning, uh, my wife said, Chris, they're shutting down restaurants. And I'm thinking, well, I do a little bit of work in restaurants and some uh, 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 high-end hotels up and down Southern California here and Palm Springs, San Diego. And I thought, wow, that's unusual. And I called a few of the agents and they said, yeah, things are locking down. Uh, and then we all went into a deep, dark depression. We're lucky to still be alive, right? Because yeah. that's our living. Sure. And we, we not only, you know, people come up, hey, we really appreciated that version of this song. It brings back memories. We're used to that instant feedback yeah. being performers, right? And then all of a sudden that goes away and you go, gee. So we bought a lot of puzzles. Right? <laughs> yeah. We did a lot of puzzles at home. I have a couple of grandkids, small, still under six a boy and a girl. So we're doing this and that a couple times a week and, and just trying to get through, uh, sure. things started opening up for us in, in June of 2020. Wow. If you can believe that, uh, even though California is one of the more stricter States to, uh, to do the lockdown, uh, I started working again. And then the following year, uh, we started flying to where the more States were open. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sense they, everybody was thirsty for live music. Uh, and then it shut down again a little bit, right, last winter. But, you know, what happens, it's always been feast or famine sure. in terms of being a live performer. And then all of a sudden, boom, the phone starts ringing. Uh, all your partners, we've got a little circuit of partners. We're all out looking for work. Uh, we bring in a deal. We say, hey, is everyone available? Or if not, we'll split the band, all this kind of fun stuff. So all of a sudden, the calendar's good, and we're, we're ready to go. And... Uh, but yeah, the first the first nine months or so it was interesting. We did a we did a private party in a backyard here in Orange County, California, where I live, and uh, the hostess said, "You know what? We're going to have this party, and if people feel comfortable coming to the party in our backyard, my friends, if they don't, then that's fine too." And I go, "Wow, I kind of appreciate that point of view. Let everybody figure it out for themselves." Sure. But of course. Uh, you know, that's just how it goes. So yeah. we're, we're definitely back in action in terms of, uh, I think, full-time, full-time calls and inquiries sure. and trying to, trying to keep the calendar filled. For you, I mean, you've been playing for a while now, so I'm sure, although you may still have nerves playing, but 
when you first got back out during these times, was there any sort of nerves of like, man, is it, am I going to really be able to still continue to do this? Am I going to have any, you know, rust on this? Or was it just you got back out and, you know, things were full swing? No, I've been lucky. I, I can do these songs. There, there's a handful of us that if we haven't played in three, four months, we can just stand on stage, you know, put the guitar on and just start going at it. A few of the guys said, oh, no, I haven't played these songs in a while. Let me blow off the rust. You know, I better yeah. piano or drums or whatever. But uh, no, it just it just comes back. I'm very lucky. I can remember lyrics and melodies and chord changes and and we just jump back into the saddle. Now, I want to, after talking about COVID, and that's, you know, for another time, I don't want to make it all about that because that's depressing and whatnot, but I want to sort of go from, from the beginning and start with you from there. Growing up in Michigan, after reading on your online on your website whatnot about yourself, what was your relationship like with music in terms of not just listening to it, but also potentially doing it as a career? Was that something feasible for you? Uh, there's a lot of musicians I found out that it kind of escaped the Midwest, during that time period, uh, I just turned 60 ish, <laughs> but back in the late seventies, we were all going to school. Uh, there's some guys that ended up here that are doing great things. Uh, and, uh, I followed out a friend, uh, a friend's older brother who had a record deal on Casablanca records, which of course is defunct, but in the late seventies. So I thought, wow, something's going out in Los Angeles. Uh, Detroit doesn't really have a whole lot of opportunity, uh, you can either play in the bars from nine to two, five nights a week, maybe. <laughs> That's what it was. Uh, you could do some voiceover work and some acting, uh, but uh, there's not a lot of uh, corporate event opportunities, which is where you can make a decent wage as a musician or in the event business. Uh, so I headed out west when I was 19 and, and was really lucky. It's timing, right? Nolan, you know, it's timing in terms of, uh, the groups that had hits in the 60s, all of a sudden were being asked back to the fair and festival circuit. Corporate mm -hmm. events were still in the infant stage. But all these groups, and I, and I uh, uh, put my name into a musician's contact service right there on uh, Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood. I, someone said, hey, go down. That's where I get work. And I, got, I started getting calls. Jan and Dean called. Hey, we're in between. We need a bass player. You're a singing bass player. See, the key is they all needed singers because they all had all those harmonies, right? Yeah. And so I got the job with Jan and Dean, and then I meet members of the Beach Boys. I meet the Turtles, and and then I threw another thing. I played with Gary Lewis and played with a bunch of other acts. But uh, you know, in terms of musicians who are looking to expand their uh, their avenues, being a singer really does help with the pop music stuff. So that's how I got out to L.A. and just started working with uh, various groups. I know, and through the people that I've had on, that whether it be athletes or people from you know sports media and whatnot, you know, if you're very successful at something, I'm sure it replicates with music. You know, you know from an early age, you know, this is what you want to do, this is what you want to have done. Unfortunately, sometimes parents, on the other hand, may already have a idea of what they want you to do and may not want you to do whatever your dreams. Are. How supportive were your parents growing up with your music endeavors when you realized this is what you want to do? Oh, my, my, my parents were real supportive, and I grew up in a musical family. My grandfather was a professional musician. Uh, her, his wife uh, taught harp at, uh, in Michigan and then, and then moved down to Miami, taught University of Miami. Her husband is a very famous, or second husband, I should say, after my grandfather, very famous band director from Indiana. 
so we had music coming out the ears. Uh, Grandpa would come over on his Sunday afternoons and bring a bunch of toys for us kids. Percussion toys, meaning yeah. percussion, bongos, all this kind of stuff. Ukuleles showed up when we were three, four years old. So we're strumming the little ukulele because we could get our hands around it. Then I switched to piano. And my parents were so encouraging. My dad always wanted to be a pro, but knew it's a hard lifestyle yeah. like his father. His father is a professional trombone player, uh, played in the 30s and 40s, big bands, and then played with the Detroit Symphony uh, wow. as he retired for 20 years. <laughs> so uh, music was always encouraged. And uh, myself and my youngest brother, five years younger than me, we're both professional musicians. The middle ones were smart enough to go into business. So they were, you know, the middle siblings, so, you know, but the two lunkheads, me and the younger one, we we persisted. But hey, you look at it like this, though. I mean, yourself, you know, your 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 other siblings might have gone to business, but I mean, they never got to play with the Beach Boys. Never, they never got to play with Jan and Dean. You you uh, you lucked out. Now, I being that you're from Michigan, and I know you're not you're not an Ohio State uh, sports fan at all. Uh, your, your head coach of Michigan football, Jim Harbaugh, has been there for a few years. I'm curious, as a Michigan Wolverines sports fan. How can you assess? Because I want to ask this quickly. How how have you assessed his job so far, and almost the potential of going to Minnesota? Wow, I like that. We're going to sports and college yeah. sports. I uh, got to sing with Jim. He showed up at one of our gigs when he was the quarterback in Indianapolis, and he said, "You know, the Barbaran with the Beach yeah. Boys. Everybody's invited up, especially all the cute girls. You know, mm -hmm. look cute girls. But then the whoever's there, the celebrities. So Jim and I got to sing on." Uh, on the mic, but you know, uh, I mean, Tom Brady's our quarterback for Michigan too. Yeah. I mean, Harbaugh, he came back to our alma mater. We had high hopes, yeah. right? Seven, eight years ago, things didn't go as planned, but all of a sudden this year we kicked some butt, yeah. made it to the championship. So we're all, uh, all for Jim Harbaugh and, and it looks like he's staying the latest I read. Yeah. So uh, it, it was wonderful. I have great memories of that being on that campus my sophomore year, I was close enough to walk to the games. Uh, and it's a beautiful campus, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and just great memories. So I'm, I'm, I'm a Michigan fan for life, which I guess that means I, I, I won't root for the Buckeyes, but, you know, yeah. that's that rivalry, right? Yeah, that's, 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 that's the uh, rivalry. In, in, my, in my state of Rhode Island, there's the, I go to the state school, the University of Rhode Island. There's a school in Providence called, um, obviously, Providence College, and Providence is usually the better school in basketball. And this year, my school hasn't done too well in college basketball for the men's, but the other school PC has done very well. They're ranked. They're going to be in the eighth, the uh, NCAA tournament. Probably it's, it's the rivalry. You can't root for them, although you want to, because uh, in your um, state, I want to talk about um, your time at university of Michigan. And I know Charlie Watts, the famous drummer, although he's passed away, mentioned in an interview, how he, really wanted to you know in order to be better because you know he is so melancholy and doesn't like to brag and stuff he talked about he how he's really not a drummer because he never really had lessons to learn or go to professional school to play how much of your time at university of michigan with the music program helped you in terms of advancing faster than others uh it it helped me tremendously it's a great music school um i remember thinking I wasn't quite a good fit for them. I was being pulled toward pop and rock and wanting to do more commercial. And they, they were very strict at that time. Uh, they still kind of looked down their nose at even jazz music. It was strictly <laughs> classical and opera. 
And so I was there as a vocal music major, singing the opera songs, uh, learning how to be a pro. Uh, and they said, now, underclassmen, we don't usually cast them in our big opera productions until their voice gets more mature. I'm thinking, gee, I want, I was all fired up to, <laughs> to be a performer. So I lasted a few years in the program and it was very nice. Uh, they gave me a full ride. They wanted me to come uh, through the Interlochen Music Camp, which when I met Bruce Johnson all those years ago, we discovered we went to the same camp, wow. camp in Northern Michigan. That's pretty famous for music. Uh, Bruce went when he was uh, growing up in Chicago uh, you know, 20 years before I did. And then I went in the late seventies, mid seventies when I'm a kid, a teenager. And so it, it's just through that, that great music camp up at, uh, near Traverse city, Michigan and the Michigan school of music, uh, wonderful stuff. But I was either headed to New York to sing opera or the tug of rock and roll yeah. out to Los Angeles. And I already lived where New York was the same weather. Sure. See, what happened was every new year's day, we'd watch the Rose bowl freezing our butts off <laughs> and the next day or the next 30 days there'd be 30 or 40,000 dumb kids <laughs> drive west right i gotta get out of this way and of course you see the palm trees in pasadena yeah. and of course it looks a so warm right you know you're in rhode island you're freezing you're yeah. and so that was one of the reasons i said i kind of figured out i'd i'd end up uh, in los angeles rather than new york city when and uh, i i think i've uh, i i I chose wisely, as they say in Indiana Jones. Yes, <laughs> yes. it's it's. It, I can tell it, it. It seems it seems as though I'm sure it's it's warm up there right now. We have snow out here still a little bit, so it's it's not that enjoyable getting in that freezing car in the morning. But that's that's life. You have to deal with it. Seeing as though you know before you joined, um, uh, obviously you know, when you left uh, University of Michigan, you didn't jump right with Jan and Dean. I'm sure you worked in other uh, bands up until that point, how much for you was it a learning experience of those early bands you're with after school in the sense of realizing this is where I have to be. This is what I have to go through in order to make it to that next level. Was it an easy for you or just, you know, a full force of enjoyment? Uh, every, every situation we're in goes on to the next one. Everyone. Uh, I auditioned around Los Angeles for various groups. Uh, it's funny. I ended up uh, my go-to songs. I said, Chris, you're a singer, right? Why don't you sing a few songs? My go-to songs for the audition back in 1980, 81 was Take It Easy by the Eagles and Back in the USSR by the Beatles. And, you know, those are easy songs to yeah. sing. They, those are songs so well written, they make you sound better than you are. Sure. Okay. Right? If you know what I mean. And so you got to pick songs that are strong. But I I played with groups. This boy, the groups were working five, six nights a week in the Los Angeles circuit. Uh, Stuart Anderson's Black Angus. I played with numerous groups there. Uh, it was just wonderful to get. But one one time in terms of the fit, I remember back in the clubs in Detroit, you did four sets only, nine to one, nine to one. Out in Los Angeles, it's nine to one thirty. Nine to one forty-five. I remember complaining to the leader once. I mean, we got to play till one thirty. We're playing four, four forty-five minute sets, and then another third. We don't. Do, you know, I'm nineteen years yeah. old. I'm complaining like an idiot, right? Like a dumb kid. And <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, I'm bitching and moaning to the to the leader. He's it's, that's not the way it was back. You know where I'm from. He said, "Hey, man, you're in Los Angeles now. <laughs> so it's supply and demand, right?" Yeah. 
there's such a pool of musicians out here in Los Angeles that they can kind of be taken advantage of. Hey, you know, you're going to make 75, 100 bucks a man. You got to play that extra set. You go do it or you don't. So anyway, it was kind of a learning curve for me. And, and you know, it still is every situation I go to. I have a a house party I'm flying up to in Vail for this Saturday night. And I didn't know exactly what kind of, I, I brought it in for the guys, rounded up the guys, uh, and they wanted classic rock. Well, that's that's quite a big genre, classic rock. Yeah. So I put together a list of what I thought would be nice early 70s, you know, vocal stuff, of course, because that's what we all do. Crosby, Stills, Nash, Allman Brothers, a little Southern mm-hmm. rock, a little that. And then I heard from the event planner, hey, the owner really doesn't know, or, or I'm sorry, the buyer really doesn't know anything past the 1960s and they want to dance. I thought, okay, throw that set list out, <laughs> go back to the 60s, Stones, be, you know. Yeah. So it's always a learning curve. Sure. Even, even when you're just, it's case by case. It's, yeah. it's a gig by gig. So Now I, I asked this to uh, the Bobby Figs when I had him on and then uh, um, Gary Griffin. Right. You joined. Oh yeah, Gary too. Good, yeah. great. You, you, yeah, he's he's very nice and very personable and very you know down to earth. And so is Bobby. Um, right. But when you join Jan D in nineteen eighty, that's a I would think a big adjustment in terms of going from the circuit and playing with these smaller bands. How do you explain to your bandmates at that time that hey, I'm trying out for Jan and Dean, and then you actually make it, and then you're going on tour. Well, that was fun. We, we never knew for sure. I was one of 30 bass players they looked at. And then it got, I, it's just like, like an actor, you know, all of a sudden you're down to 15, you get a callback, a third callback, four callback. Uh, and then I learned, I learned a lot about politics when I, I was a 20 year old kid uh, uh, auditioning for Jan and Dean, because there's two partners, Jan and Dean, Yeah, they own the band. So whoever Jan wanted, Dean necessarily did not want that guy whoever dean wanted which is me jan didn't necessarily so they kept saying chris you're down to one you're down to two the two dudes he uh, the other guy and myself we actually were called for a final callback sitting there you know by ourselves chatting away i mean it's just one of those goofy goofy things uh dean ended up uh saying jan they compromised he said jan you hire the drummer but i want the bass player because we need his voice so they hired me and thankfully, uh, I just thanked them. It was 40 years ago. I mean, it's amazing yeah. <laughs> how time flies. And you're talking to Gary and Bobby and the rest oh, of the guys. Sure. It's like you'd think it's just yesterday, but you go, oh, no, it's been <laughs> a little. But uh, yeah, to go to families. Well, I'm, I'm auditioning for Jan and Dean. It looks like I got the date. We're supposed to go to Australia in a few months. And then that got canceled. Wow. He said, because the buyer, Willie Nelson, just went to Australia and he only collected half and the buyer didn't come up with the other half. So we're not going to chance it. I'm so, okay, fine. I go, well, so I kept playing in the clubs, being on call with Jan and Dean. They put me on a retainer. I was paying my bills, but you know, Chris go out and do whatever you're usually do in LA. And we'll let you know when we start work. So finally they started up that next year. Gary Griffin came into the band. Thank goodness as our keyboard player, because he had just got off the road at the beach boys. He knew all the stuff. He was kind of our musical director with the guitar player and off we went. So, yeah, but with the family things like, well, they go Jan and Dean, you know, not the biggest uh, fan base in Detroit, Michigan for Jan and uh, for the Beach Boys, of course. Um, But uh, dump that dumb thing. Um, Anyway, uh, 
uh, again, the family were all supportive. Whoever I want to work with, they're fine. So they had to look up Jan and Dean, right? At that time, no internet. So you go, well, you go to the encyclopedia, you go to the record store. I found an old record of Jan and Dean. When I found out it was a remake, I I didn't know. I thought, oh, this is what these guys sound like. They well, wait a minute. That's not what the, the leader hands, hands me a cassette. Here's the songs we're going to play. Chris, why don't you go ahead and learn them, and we'll see you next week, and we'll start working the song. And I thought, oh, these are different songs than the, yeah. records, the record I bought. So it was a learning curve for sure. What was that like? I wanted to ask you that, the turnaround in terms of learning the set list. Was it a fast turnaround, or is it something where like, they give you a little bit of time to learn and then you know make sure you know it? Oh, sure. A little bit of time. And, and we weren't sure when the next show, as soon as, as soon as the show's booked, then boom, everybody's on the ball. You know, oh, we have a show in 30 days or 45 days. Uh, we were lucky that one year where work trickled in for Jan and Dean. It was uh, the uh, 1981 and work trickled in a couple of shows out in Palm Desert. Uh, a couple other shows in the local area, drive out, drive back. So we, I got to get my feet wet as, as their new bass player and background singer. And then all of a sudden I was told, boom, the tour's on. From May through October, we're going to be out. ICM, big agency, just booking. We, we did sheds. We did huge arenas and theaters. And uh, But what really helped was we did two weeks in the same uh, the same venue up at Lake Tahoe. And then we did two weeks in the same venue in Reno, Nevada. So we were, that's where people were, who were running the Janet Dean thing, knowing there's a new band. Let's have you sit down at a, you know, two weeks here, two weeks there, get the show prepared because uh, Jan Barry was, uh, is mentally impaired, you know, yeah. from his accident from 15 years prior. And so let's just make sure Jan's ready to go. The new guys in the band are ready to go. So that really helped out a lot, just being able to do two shows a night at the Harris at Tahoe, Harris Reno, and get the show on for the when the tour officially started in June when we're doing a lot of one nighters. For for you, you know, growing up, I'm sure you had a, a fandom of the Beach Boys and then Jan and Dean. Jan and Dean, you know, 1980-81, they'd been around for some time. So from your perspective, joining them at that time, what was your viewpoint on them? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I have kind of a weird story about that. The road manager called me in my apartment in Hollywood, said, Chris, I'm, I got your name from the Musician Contact Service. Uh, Jan and Dean are looking for a bass player. Then his, his question is, have you heard of them? <laughs> right? Because he knew. It's 1980. The guys haven't been on the radio for a while, but they're getting, they did a TV movie. They're getting some interest. Uh, the Beach Boys were helping them get back on tour, introducing them to agents and buyers and whatnot. And so I'm thinking after the fact, the road manager is probably calling a lot of young bass players who are on this roster. And find, somebody must have said, well, tell me who they are. So my answer to that was no, I had not heard of them. I'm 19. I'm from Detroit. I, I don't know who's Jan and Dean. He said, no problem. Uh, they did a song called Surf City. You have you heard of that? I said, no. You know, I'm listening to Bob Seger and Alice yeah. Cooper from Detroit, right? Motown, you know, uh, uh, Smokey Robinson. I'm listening sure. to the stations and the tops. I don't know. They said, and I said, no. He said, well, Dead Man's Curve is another one of their big hits. I said, no. And then he said, well, there's also a song called The Little Old Lady from Pasadena. I said, yes, I know that one. <laughs> 
because it's on a Beach Boys record. Yeah. He said, well, that's this music they do. They were friends with the Beach Boys. They have all these harmonies and we're looking for a singing play. I said, I love that music. I'd love to come down. And I went, oh, my gosh, did I blow it by saying I've never heard of them? Yeah. And then I went to a few friends. They said, we, I, I, I bought this, the stupid knockoff album. I go, OK, that's what they are. So anyway, yeah, you're right. The age thing was was really crazy. Uh, and uh, eventually they gave me, you know, the music and off we went. So um, I'm sure for you to have spent that much time with Jen and Dean was definitely a relief in terms of you have made it and you don't have to worry about necessarily a, of, you know, if you're going to be able to survive and make it week to week, but also speaks to the trust that Jan and Dean both had in your ability, but also that they saw that you were a pretty good player as well. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, I was in and out of the Jan and Dean band for the next 15 years uh, doing other things. I say, guys, I I'm doing this with this other guy or this thing. Uh, you know, please give me a call. But if if I might not be available every once in a while, don't take it personally. You know, what do you do? You, yeah. you try to keep your calendar filled. Uh, Jan and Dean had just enough work where you wanted to clear the calendar for them during the summer and the fall. But on the off season, it's like, well, OK, what do you know? You have to piece things together. But it was a wonderful experience. And I'm working with Dean Torrance to this day. He's wow. in his early 80s. Uh, there's a few of us who he's been given permission to shop him as an add-on or as a headliner. And I field some calls for Dean. So Dean's still out there doing the music. It's wonderful. God, God bless him. Similar, I'm sure, to the other guys like Brian and Al, who still are out there, still performing to this day with their it's amazing their yeah. dates. Now, similar to Gary, you spent some time playing with another well-known musician and actor in his bands on television and on, on this scene, uh, John Stamos with his bands on um, General Hospital and Full House, uh, Blackie and the Riff Raff and Jesse and the Rippers. Was that was that something that you were looking to do at all during your time in the entertainment slash music world? And was that something that you could adjust to easily? No, no. Guy, guys like me just go with the flow. You know, you think, huh, do I want to be interested in this? John, John is a super fan of the Beach Boys, always yeah. was. He was a kid. And so he shows up. We had a residency gig, one of my groups, right after Jan and Dean did their 1981 tour. And then Jan had some substance problems. Dean sends him to rehab. I don't know if we're ever going to get back together. We had that great tour. Okay, well, what do we do now? So the backup band with Jan and Dean put together a residency gig at, at Knott's Berry Farm uh, amusement park and theme park in Orange County. And John Stamos would show up you know, as a kid, a fan, yeah. Hi, you doing beach boys. You can, you know, and then eventually can I sit in? I'm a drummer. And I was like, you know, I'm not the leader of the group, but sure. eventually without John sit in, he was starting to get traction as an actor. Yeah. And uh, we just hooked up from then on. I mean, it was just the funniest thing. Just the funniest thing. I mean, just to, I'm sure see that and see the fast growth of craziness that he brought from fans is just, I'm sure, an unbelievable thing because then it takes away, I'm sure, some aspect from <laughs> performing. Well, a, a little bit, but it's just exciting. John yeah. said, God, I'm going to start booking gigs. I want you to be our band. So let's put together a set list. We'll rehearse a few times and then we'll go do this stuff. He said, but it is funny. I do remember one of his things early on. He said, he said, Chris, they want to pay me 
to go do a, a, a meet and greet. And it's like being in a meat market. I got to stand <laughs> there for an hour, hour and a half. You know, that's what those guys have to yeah. do. Uh, and he said, I'd much rather do a concert. So I'm trying to get these guys. Not only I'll sign autographs, whatever, but let me do my music as well. And so we were lucky enough to be invited by John into his uh, musical project. And then each TV show that he would do, he'd invite us to be in the band. <laughs> It was so fun. We did the General Hospital run with him, the soap opera. We did a little bit of his other TV show, Dreams, which I didn't think lasted very well. We didn't do the Jack Klugman thing. But uh, and then, of course, Full House. Uh, early on, I, I was, you know, one of the band guys. and We'd either sing or play. Yeah. And then they invite me to record. I think there's one show where I sang something, but Scott Bale was on the show. It was my voice and oh, Scott. Oh, mimicked okay. We were all asked to help, sure. you know, make it sound good. And and then, of course, John, I was so lucky to just be one of the guys invited into that. Uh, and uh, we still do stuff every once in a while. And then John still, of course, is out with the Beach Boys. Yeah. His, his uh, you know, his first love of, of rock and pop music is great. Yeah, sure. And he sings. I haven't seen them, which is unfortunate on my end to not have gone to go see um them but he sings probably my favorite if not one of my favorite you know beach boy songs ever which is you know dennis's classic forever um right. I'm curious you know being that you know as i mentioned you played with the beach boys for a while as well what was the timeline between jan and dean and the beach boys i know you joined them in 95 but how much of a time space was there between both well i finished the jan and dean tour that summer and i asked dean i said i think i think i need to take a step back um I'm, I'm getting a little in a rut here and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a grumpy Gus <laughs> out here on the road. Uh, Jan, I was kind of Jan's road manager and, and uh, he and I weren't seeing eye to eye to a few things. I said, Dean, I, I probably need to step aside. And uh, in the meantime, uh, for years on the side, I had a sweet deal with uh, Mike Love of the Beach Boys. Right. We did a lot of corporates in the winter and the spring. In the summer, they'd go do the Beach Boys, the main band with Carl and Al. Yeah, and sure. Right. But then on the side, Mike would be hiring different musicians to do oh. invisible dates, corporate events for companies. And I was doing that. So I I, I officially got released from Jan and Dean. Uh, a couple weeks later, I called Mike Love. I said, Mike, you know, I knocked, I knocked on the door. Uh, you know, if there's any personnel change, I want to let you know I'm no longer working for Jan and Dean. He said, what do you mean you're not working for Janet? He said, nah, I, I just needed a break and everything. And so Mike was nice enough to uh, hire me on into the main band, the Beach Boys, in 95 when there was a personnel change. So very, again, very lucky. A little bit of timing. I chatted with, I still, I just did shows with Ed Carter, who yeah. I came in to uh, replace in the bass chair. Uh, and uh, Ed was so nice uh, when... Uh, he said, hey, I'll get you up to speed on whatever you need to do when you're taking over. And uh, it's time for me to take a break from the road and be with my family. And yeah. and uh, so and then when I left the Beach Boys 12 years later, or so uh, my old buddy Randall Kirsch yeah. stepped in. He went from guitar to bass. I said, Randall, you need any help? I mean, you know, we're, we're all just yeah, sure. like, oh, no, I've been let go. I've been fired, whatever. It's like that's that's the way it goes. That's <laughs> the nature of the beast, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to talk about Ed and, you know, Randell in a little bit, but it's similar to how I asked about, you know, Jan and Dean, who had mentioned how you didn't really know of them. And obviously you're a fan of the Beach Boys. And in 95, they had been around for nearly or a little over 30 years. 
what did your image at all or viewpoint of them change at all from when you were growing up listening to them to when you joined them or is it sort of the still boyhood appreciation? Uh, you, you know, you get to know people, uh, you live with them, you travel with them. Sometimes you get to know them a little too well, right? Yeah. No, just like anything else. And so it's always, uh, you, know, you always have to put that, it's, a, it's quite a pressure cooker being on tour with the Beach Boys. Sure. It really is. Uh, you know, there's some politics involved that everyone has to be aware of or not. Our good friend, Mike Maros, uh, who passed a while back, just a wonderful man and one fantastic B3 and keyboard player. Uh, Mike just said, you know, Chris, when I came in, he said, Chris, I just keep my head down. I don't want to, you know, just let me go do my job. I said, what great advice from Mike. Yeah. Go out there, do your job for the sake of the music, for the sure. sake of the recordings. Everything else is superfluous. Don't worry about any of that other stuff. And uh, so Mike really helped out when I got the job. But there's definitely stuff, you know, it's like, oh. And you, it's just like any other yeah. corporation. I, I have a lot of friends that work for Disney, a lot of friends. And sometimes there's two inside where the magic rubs yeah. off a bit. It's just all corporate stuff. Sure. And so to put it in perspective, I'm out here playing the greatest music ever written. I'm saying they even thrown me a couple of lead songs for wow. crying out loud. Chris, you want to sing this? You want to sing the cotton field song? You want to sing you're so good to me, whatever you want to sing some of the songs that uh, Al sings that Al's no longer with the main tour. I said, whatever you guys, right. Whatever you need me to do, I'm, yeah. I'm that's what I'm here for. And so when you're let go, it's like, well, it's kind of like the president's cabinet. <laughs> yeah. You serve the pleasure of the beach boys. Yeah. You're brought in, you serve at their place. How can I be of assistance? Yeah. How can I help? And then all of a sudden you're no longer needed. Well then no longer needed. And uh, that's the way, that's the way of the world. When you joined them and Bobby has mentioned this and I asked this to car uh, to uh, Gary, everyone I'm sure gets the Carl Wilson stare when they join the band. Um, when they, when they mess up, when was the first time you got the Carl Wilson stare? If that I happened got, at all, I got the stare at rehearsal once when we were rehearsing "Darling." The stare happened. We weren't even into the first verse, and Carl stops the whole band. Stop! We all have in ear monitors, so instead of you know we're all concentrating, so he yells "Stop!" into the microphone, so we we could all hear. Right? He turns to the bass player, turns to me, said, "Farmer, what are you playing?" <laughs> Oh, no, here it comes. It's my turn. <laughs> Shakedown crew. I start playing the bass part to Darling, right? Two measures, three measures in. He says, stop. That's wrong. That's wrong. And so we played the whole song while I'm sitting there melting. Played the whole song on bass. And he was letting me know, look, kid, you know, Mike Love introduced you to us. He brought you in. Uh, no problem. But I want to tell you, I hear everything that goes on on stage. <laughs> really understand. I know every part, which he did, especially one of my songs that I sing. Especially yeah. bass. And it's so funny because the bass part, then, then when I listened to it and got it, the bass part is modeled, modeled after the Motown bass player, James Jamerson. Right. There's hits that go on, musically speaking. There's some anticipations that go on that I didn't quite get. And I go, oh, but the po important thing was Carl's running the show. Yeah. Musical director. And you if you can't cut the mustard musically, then sorry, Charlie, we're, <laughs> gonna, you know, you're not going to be much longer. And the best part about working for Carl Wilson is uh, he was such a nice man. And the way he did it was so smooth. You really wanted to please him. That's sure. the key. 
Carl was was just in another plane musically. And when he when he would turn around and give you that look, like, hey, something's going on back there. I don't know. Right? Everyone snapped to attention. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're getting a little loose. We're having, you know, we're not playing to, to the to the yeah. leader's satisfaction. So, oh yeah, I got I got the stare, the stink eye, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well I, well, I know that. You know, it's well known that, you know, after Brian left, Carl, you know, took over and he became the sort of de facto leader. Then, you know, in the 90s, um, Mike, you know, took more of a role as well. In 95, when you joined, what was it like? And you sort of alluded to it then experiencing Carl, who had started with the group when he was 14, 15 years old. And now he's got this voice that's unbelievable Mm -hmm. still after 30 years. Was he still, you know, a powerful person in the sense of, you know, making sure we're cracking whip? Because if you're not, you're you're out. Yes, that was that. And that was understood. He didn't even have to do anything other than practice a few things or, or something's getting loose on this one song, that, that song. Carl was so consistent in his voice. We used to compare him to like Roy Orbison. Oh, right. You'd never heard. Roy Orbison crack his voice sure. going from low register, mid register to high back and forth. And Carl was that smooth. The only time I heard Carl crack was very sad. It was after his second cancer rounds and he was yeah. still out touring, doing the best he could, but he cracked a note in God only knows, which of course is his yeah. amazing song, right? He cracked the note and we all heard it and we go, well, I wonder you know what he did after he cracked the note in front of the audience? He laughed at him. So he just <laughs> laughed. He said, yeah. ah, he's laughing. Continue the song. That was Carl is just amazing. Wow. And then he left the tour that, uh, that end of summer wanted to come back for a fall run, ended up not, and then passed away yeah. early that year. You know, it was just devastating for everybody. Yeah. When you're in, I, I don't know if I, you, we just mentioned again, you know, if you can't, you know, cut the mustard, you're out. When you're in that position, whether it's a Jan and Dean situation or a, you know, a uh, Beach Boy situation or anyone else that you play with that's well known, how do you deal with this, the, the situation of, you know, I like this group, I like the music that they're playing, I'm a big fan, but I have to keep that in because if I let that out and ex- let it explode, I'm going to embarrass someone or myself and I'm going to be, you know, out of a job. Is that hard to do? No, when you're in the nuts and bolts of preparing a song, you, you concentrate, and you focus. And you kind of you're you're being a big fan just kind of takes a back seat. But every once in a while, especially for certain songs, like for me, it was California Girls. I don't know why. All of a sudden, I become a fan during that song, yeah. on, on, and I realize I'm standing on stage with the Beach Boys, or like a hometown gig back at a big amphitheater, the Pine Knob Amphitheater in Detroit, where I got to play uh, many times after that, but went to see all my favorite groups in the seventies. And now I'm back there playing with the beach boys and a couple other back acts. It just hits you every once in a while. I said, I'm playing with these guys. I'm a huge fan, but yeah, you're right. You got to keep it in, do your job because you, you know, you're there to help them sound as best as they can. You're not there to satisfy some crazy, you know, yeah. <laughs> fan you yeah. have, but there's a time and place for that. Sometimes at the hotel, you can chat. Uh, Bruce loved to talk about, you know, he, he was a big fan, of course. You know, he was working and he was doing production for the Beach Boys. And he loves telling his yeah. story. Carl turned to him, said, Bruce, uh, you know, Brian wants to stay home and record with the Wrecking Crew. And we're still on the road. Do you have anybody? Can you recommend somebody? 
will you play bass? Why don't you come in and play bass? You know, we all love those stories where we've been yeah. invited. And it's like, wow, okay. And we're all super fans. So, yeah, you're right. What do you do? You just, you know, you do your job. When you you had mentioned Ed Carter, who you took over for, and then Randall Kirsch, who took over for, for you when he came in. At, when you joined in 95, you know, Billy was there or he had just left. And then Ed was there and then just left. And, you know, Mike Maros and then you have – Mike Kowalski, who was Mike probably beside, besides Ed, is the longest serving supporting cast member on there. <laughs> when you're joining that group or you I don't want to say replacing because that's no, not the right word. But when you're taking over for them, is there a sort of, you know, a, a fear in the sense of making sure you're keeping that high quality of musicianship that they brought to those songs? Sure. Absolutely. You look at these guys and how long they've been with the group. I mean, Billy's a relative. He sang on Barbaran. I mean, yeah. on the recording, he was in the studio hanging out with everybody. It's like, oh, my gosh. And he was a professional musician yeah. by the time he was 1965, 66 with uh, the boys down the street. Right. Dino yeah. Desi. So, yeah, you, you just it's an intimidation thing. You just do the best you can and, and you know, hope you're doing the job. 99 was a big year for the group as well as yourself. You know, you're, you're become the new musical director for the group until you left in 07. What was that conversation like for you? Were, were you expecting, were you seeing that you, you would become the musical director? Or was that something that you were just asked and took? Oh, it, it was all a weird, the way they, they use that. And, and again, I, I think it was Mike Love that said, Chris, we want to, you know, we, we kind of want you to be the musical director. We want you to, and I'm thinking, well, th there's nothing to direct. I mean, everyone knows the <laughs> yeah. music, right? I always saw it more. They, they want me to be quality control, I kind sure. of thought. You know, you know all the vocal parts. You're, you're a trained musician, so you can see them. You, you know, you can see them in your head, you know, when somebody's straying. So just keep everything so it doesn't go unraveled the way Carl did. So I never saw myself as the musical director, but, you know, I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it if I was on the hop seat you know it's okay you guys want to call me that that's fine with me again however right we're there however we can help you want yeah. to put a name on it no problem uh he would turn to me chris we're we're playing in australia next week there's six or seven songs i want to include in the set because they were hits in australia so obviously he would know that i would get the band ready so i guess that's musical director in a sense of i was the point man Say, guys, we got to learn these seven songs. Now, we've done them, some of them, some we never had. Yeah. We did a tour in England when I was with, they do it all the time, but we learned all those great album cuts uh, from the late uh, 60s and early 70s. All this is that, Till yeah. I Die. You know, and we got to perform those with the Beach wow. Summit. And so, yeah, we did a lot of work, but, uh, and then somebody else, Scott Totten, he's amazing. Yeah. He's he, he knows his stuff, too. It was great. He, he could just continue the high quality of the performances. I mean, that's just what we're doing, what we do when we're there. Well, speaking of all this, is that probably one of the greatest or underrated songs that they have in their their uh, the song book. And just to watch it on YouTube, you know, see them perform at their 50th anniversary or whenever is a, a powerful moment. So I'm sure playing a song like that is powerful. But I, I'm really curious. And what I really wanted to ask you about is, you know, putting together that set list how much of it is what you want to put out there but also what mike wants to see put out as, as shown is there a, a a hard thing to do there uh mike love is the master of set lists and pacing he really is 
And he created that set list more or less back in the 70s. Uh, and then Dean, when Jan and Dean toured with the Beach Boys for a few years in the late 70s, and then when they went off to do their own thing, Dean grabbed that set list too. I mean, he just knew it flows. It, the, you know, put the car songs together, make it a, a little set. Put the a girls' songs together, uh, the surf song, this and that. So Mike loved, and he always liked to tweak the set list. Except when we're rolling, we're doing 30, 35 shows sure. a month. You know, no one, it's like, oh, let's just leave it. We don't need to. But every once in a while, Mike would say, let's do, let's do a bunch of songs in a row. Let's do, we might even do six or seven in a row without a break. And then let the audience breathe. I'll say hello. And then we'll continue. I said, great. And then, but that one tour that we did in England was the only time I recall that Mike Love came to the band and says, guys, we're doing two and a half hour shows in England for the next three weeks. Uh, there's a lot of songs over there that they really know that us uh, Americans don't necessarily know. So bring me your wish list and let's put together a killer set. So that's what, oh, we get to do this great album cut and that stuff. And I remember Al Jardine talking about the same thing. Hey, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. We're going to do all these great songs. Well, yes and no, depending on the venue, yeah. you still give the people the hits. But over in England, the, the arenas we did and the theaters were just perfect for that stuff. Sure. So if I, there's probably a set list posted somewhere, but it's just all the great stuff, that, yeah. the harmony stuff that we all love to do. Is there a song or songs that you want to add that you didn't get to add that you wish you saw on the list? Or was it generally you liked what was on there? Uh, Breakaway. I would have loved to do Breakaway with the group. It's one of our, and now there's a vocal only thing floating around the internet yeah. that I heard about from years from some of the engineers. Chris, I've got this vocal. Somebody, you know, we, we took out, it's just the vocals. It's amazing. It's amazing. I heard it once, but then now with YouTube and everything, it's all yeah. floating around. That would be one. I, I love that song. It's beautiful. One of, my, I never got one of my favorite songs, and you, you've probably, I, I don't want to, you know, make any assumptions. Um, you've uh, performed and with the Beach Boys, and I'm sure Scott um, Castle, or not, no, John Castle performed as well with them, is Good Timing off their LA album. Um, sure. One of my, sure. one of my favorite albums ever. I, I, my, my favorite part is, I'm trying to think of when it is, it's, it was like, duh. I forget what it is. It's like when they sing da 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 or whatever, whatever, whatever the part is. But it's one of my favorite songs right. in that album. And it's like I said, it's one of their albums or songs. And they have a lot of them that are underrated gems that they have. Did you? How often did you perform that song with the Beach Boys on tour? Good timing. Uh, good timing was performed a lot when John Stamos would join us for a few weeks every summer. He'd sing lead on it. So it was, it's been thrown around. Yeah. Uh, I got to sing lead on it uh, kind of by default unless someone else came in. So it, it, it's another great song. And sure. I remember when we first added it to the show, when I was with him, Bruce helped with the vocals. It was Bruce and Carl. Oh, right. That's all those great backgrounds on that song. Yeah. Uh, and he was trying to remember which part was what. And, and when he came, one one morning came as Chris. I remembered the fourth background part. I know what, <laughs> what I did now, you know, because that was 25 years before that. Yeah. So it's, it was fun to uh, be a part of creating that stuff sure. for the live show. I said, Bruce, this was your arrangement, right? I said, yeah, I got to remember what we did. I got to remember. So we finally put it together the way the record was. And 
Bruce was a happy man because his memory was still there. <laughs> well, you know, good time. And that's a song, you know, that Carl sings lead on. He wrote that with Brian. Is that when you're tasked with singing a song like that or another song that Carl had performed and you're saying that whether he's there or, he, you know, he's no longer there. Is that, you know, a, a big task for you to try to make sure you're, you're not replicating, but putting your own twist on it? I, I'd have to go to some of the uh, other, you know, guys that have been around longer and said, well, you know, how do, how do we find this song again? This was right when you could go to the internet research, but yeah. you really couldn't. I, I had to buy all those twofers, right? The twofers yeah. that's 30 years ago when those could all of a sudden CDs, you'd have two albums by the beach boys on one CD. I'm like, thank goodness. <laughs> Cause I was starting to learn sure. uh, and research the band. So I was kind of up to it by the time I was with them. But there's always that oddball song that you go, oh, boy, I'm not too familiar with that one. I hope we can piece it together. We might have mentioned this at the beginning when we talked about uh, how life's been so far. But after you left the Beach Boys, you've stayed busy with, you know, your own music and CSI and the other groups you play with and Timothy Beachman. How important is it for you to be staying busy since um, when you left the Beach Boys? Well, the Beach Boys were so busy when I was with them doing I don't know, 150, 170 shows a year. I love to be busy and I love to travel. So music is just perfect for me. I started my own uh, musical services company. So I learned a lot from watching how Dean ran, runs Jan and Dean, watching how Mike Love and the managers and agents uh, run the Beach Boys. So I thought, shoot, I can put something together, field some offers, yeah. help, help whoever wants to work. Let's work. We'll, we'll do this configuration. It'll be a beach theme. Oh, they want a little 70s thrown in. And then I, this, the, Timothy Schmidt just came out of nowhere. One of our buddies here is his guitar player. And he called me out of the blue. I said, Chris, what, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was in, uh, we were in St. Louis uh, with Jan and Dean. I said, well, I'm flying home from St. Louis. He said, well, what are you doing Monday? I said, I don't know, Hank. What am I doing? He said, come on up and hang out with me and Timothy. I, I, I think you'd be a good fit for our band he just told me in three weeks he's got work first time ever timothy's done a solo thing wow. so you just never know where sure you know, opportunities are going to come and i love uh love traveling and and between between a few headliners that still call say hey i'm working on this you know if you could block it out that'd be great that kind of thing of course sure. with some of the main and then the other uh shows that i booked through my company and then i'm a subcontractor on I have it, Bobby, a call. Hey, man, yeah. we need you here. I, you know, I'd love to have you. And I say, thanks for the invite. I'm good or I'm not. And we just go from there. Sure. So it's a wonderful little team that we've uh, put together. And, and I'm, I'm very happy that uh, to still be wanted out there. Well, that I think that speaks to the, the magnitude of the Jan and Dean-esque Beach Boys world, where you have all these people who have performed with both groups or one or the other, and they're together even after they've left the groups and they're performing the music still and keeping it going. And you don't see that with really any of the groups. You don't see the living members of KISS do that or in these other groups who do this that have had the amount of support that they've had. Now, I also wanted to talk to you about, because I've been listening to it, you know, since we first got in contact a few weeks ago, and it's your two, your album, California Dreaming, with your songs you sang from the Beach Boys and uh, the, uh, Rolling, uh, the, uh, the Beatles. Uh, I saw her standing there and all these great songs on there. And to me, it, it reminds me of 
the album, um, the 85 album from the Beach Boys that you, you might not know when it was out there, but then you listen to it and there's so many great songs that are on there. I, I love listening to Do You Want to Dance, one of my favorite Dennis Wilson songs off your album. Sure. Uh, Help Me Rhonda on there. Why Do Fools Fall in Love? And just a lot of great songs on there. And what I like about the Do You Want to Dance and Help Me Rhonda version is that, you know, there are so many live recordings of Beach Boy songs that they sung. There's one from their uh, 50 Sides of Summer where it was a, a 95 version of Sail on Sailor. But there's none of Help Me Rhonda and Do You Want to Dance? That song okay. that. And I get that sort of vibe from Do You Want to Dance where it's, a, where it's piano and you hear that and there's it's not, you know, the drum solo. And I just, I, I love singing to it. I'm, I'm not a musician. I played saxophone for all of five seconds in middle school. Oh, we go. <laughs> uh, terrible and never practice. I, I'm a shower singer. So when I, I'm in the car and I'm driving to Jamestown for my internship, this album and those songs have been in there. I, I can't fully reach the um the high parts of um why do fools fall in love or the uh, or some of the parts sure. in, um uh <laughs> when I saw her standing there, but I tried, but it, it's a great album. But when you my question is after that long rant, when you're doing that by yourself as an artist, does that bring challenges to you when it's now you are in charge of it and you're doing this on yourself? Well, half of that album was recorded with the current Beach Boys backup oh, band. We went in the studio just to just to have something in the can and we didn't finish up the vocals. So it, that album was kind of by default where, well, I'm back in Los Angeles and all those guys are still on the yeah. road. Why don't I go in the studio and finish it up? And so, you know, some of the vocals are are the other guys. And but I think most of them is me, if I remember right, just to finish it up and have a. Uh, yeah. have something up there just kind of a memento uh as for my time uh with the beach boy because we would do corporates and we would do all those songs yeah we would do a little song and a summertime blues and that was the fun part of uh of uh doing some of the private events where you could expand your set list a little if you're doing a proper beach boys concert well of course people want to hear the beach boys yeah. so. but in the corporates they're not necessarily there they just want party music beach music theme stuff and so that's why some of those songs ended up there and they were just fun yeah. to record of course well I, well I like the album I listened to I listened to a lot of the songs on there when I'm driving to work driving to work and I'm leaving back I, I really in, in, enjoy it now before I let you go and I like I've said before I appreciate your time and your patience and being able to you do this it. and doing this with Bye. me and getting to this point I want to end on a segment called the one word challenge so for those who don't oh, know what it is uh -oh, what, here what I do oh. is I put together five or six, even seven sometimes words or places or people that have something to do with my guests and they have to do their best to come up with a word or two that best describes it. So, Chris, are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, first one, first one, Livonia, Michigan. Home. Uh, Timothy B. Schmidt. Wonderful. The Bel Air Bandits. Oh, fun. Uh, Los Angeles. Great city. Oh, that's two words. Sorry. Great. It, it, it's fine. Uh, and last but certainly not least, Chris Farmer. Lucky, one lucky bugger. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Well, Chris, I want to say thank you. As I've said before, thank you so much for spending the time and doing this and letting me reach out and do this. It, it means a great deal for someone like yourself to spend the time with me. Thanks again for the invite.
Well, as as I always say, if you enjoyed this episode, because who wouldn't? And you're looking back 10 years from now and saying, holy crap, this was amazing. And this blows up like Joe Rogan. Do us a fair. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, share all that fun jazz. It really helps. Uh, Chris, this is the time I give to my guests to let them plug, promote, and put anything out that, that they have. So is there anything that you would like to put well, out there? It, it really is just my website if anyone wants to get in touch, if anybody needs some music. If for some reason you don't have the two, three hundred thousand dollars to buy the Beach Boys, I might be able to help <laughs> you in that. A little less. But no, no, Chris, ChrisFarmerMusic.com. Very simple. C-H-R-I-S, farmer like farmer in the Dell, ChrisFarmerMusic.com. And uh, there's a show schedule on there and there's a bunch of things and and the offerings, you know, current offerings. Yeah. So. It'd be great. Thank well, you. If you'd want all the news and updates regarding the podcast, follow on Twitter, Nolan Carr Night, and on Instagram, Nolan Carr at Night Show. And in the words of Johnny Carson, I bid you all a heartfelt good night. And in words of another well-known man, especially the guest of today, thank you most kindly. And I'll see you next week for another edition. Take care.